What is up, Settlement Nation? Welcome to another episode of our growing podcast. My name is Chris Bua, and I am joined today by my co-host, Courtney Barber. We have a great guest with us today, trial lawyer Brian Ward. Brian is an attorney with Carpenter, Zuckerman, and Rowley from Beverly Hills, California, and he loves jury trials. He's recovered tens of millions of dollars on behalf of his clients in the courtroom. He's also been recognized as a rising star super lawyer and works on the teaching team at Trial by Human. Welcome to Settlement Nation, Brian. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So we'll get right into it. Um, when I was doing some research on you, uh, it looked like while you were at law school, you were sworn in early to begin your first jury trial, and you had your first verdict before your classmates were even sworn in. There has to be a story there. So can you tell us a little, little bit more about what happened? Yeah, for sure. So when uh, I was at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, I had the opportunity to join their trial advocacy program, which is usually one of the top four or five programs in the nation and um, and, and has a, a lot of distinguished alumni, hopefully some of which you have on this podcast. We can, we can talk about their names a little bit later. But as I was coming through the program, we had the benefit of those more experienced trial attorneys who had been through the program come back and, and guest judge us and help teach us. And that's, that's an opportunity that's rife for recruitment. So there was a wonderful trial attorney in the Valley named Chris Ardalan, um, who we kind of took a mutual interest in each other. And I asked, you know, can I get a job with you? And he says, well, if you win the national championship, you've got yourself a job. And I said, that's a fair deal. And we set out that year and we actually did the, we did win the national championship of all the ABA approved law schools. And so he was good to his word and he gave me a job. And knowing the training that I had already had, uh, he had a jury trial set uh, to begin, you know, after the results came out, but prior to the December 1st um, swearing in ceremony. So we arranged uh, at Naboda Inns of Court meeting to have a, a judge swear me in so that I could jump into trial the next day. Um, so that's that's what happened. <laughs> in fact, in, the, in that first trial, opposing counsel, you know, was chatting me up and knew I was, you know, a baby and was super fresh and... And he looks at me and goes, it's a little bit different than the trial ad courtroom, isn't it? And I look at him and I go, it's actually not. I've done about two or 300 trials already. And uh, that shut him up pretty quickly. And then we, well, then we whooped his butt. So <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. So uh, a lot of attorneys have different reasons for why they get into practicing law. What brought you into uh, practicing law? What inspired you? Know, you? I did. I, I didn't, I wasn't a kid growing up saying I'm going to be a trial lawyer. All I, all I knew is I wanted to do something that was creative and if it could help people along the way, that would be great. I graduated from USC actually with a film degree and, and going into the film industry seemed pretty daunting and frustrating. And I knew that the asset that I had was probably my mouth. So I went into pharmaceutical sales thinking that might be naively thinking that might be a way where I can use the skill that I have talking and, and maybe help some people along the way. The first part was true. The second part was utterly naive. And once I realized I was part of an industry that I, I soon realized was was basically evil, I needed to find a way out and I needed to find a new direction. Law school made sense at the time. And when I went to Loyola, like I said, I was very fortunate to find Susan Poles, a professor that handles the trial advocacy program. And I looked at that program and I said, I can succeed in this. And it was actually just jumping in first. And then the love of trial work came later when I realized, wow, this, this ticks all the boxes for me. I can stand up. I can talk to people. Um, you know, I can use this gift and, and, and I can use it not for selfish means necessarily, but you can substantially improve somebody's life in a courtroom. 
And Brian, speaking of that, and we are very glad you didn't stay on as a pharmaceutical <laughs> rep salesperson because I feel like your skills are much better used in the courtroom. But I met you at a trial by human last year and you were one of the trial skills teachers. You know, from working with so many attorneys and up and coming attorneys that want to better their skills in the courtroom um, and coming from someone like yourself, as you said, you did hundreds of trials even before you were sworn in. What are some tips or some skills that you see commonly with other people that you think they should be practicing before they go to the courtroom? I think people need to talk about their cases. Um, and that's not, you don't need to rehearse your opening statement necessarily or have every question of your cross-examination written down, but you should sit down with friends, family, maybe preferably non-attorneys and simply talk about your case or simply talk about your client. You know, the, the most powerful way to communicate to a jury is uh, obviously with a plan, but also extemporaneously, right? Because then your authenticity, your genuineness comes out. We're so used to seeing this image of a lawyer on the screen. And, you know, in law school, they don't really do anything to teach you that that's right or wrong. So I think a lot of people come out kind of pantomime that. But the truth is that you're much more effective if you're talking over a beer instead of over a jury box. And, and that's been pretty important for me my whole career. And it's actually something that I learned. I take beyond just talking to the jury now. It's also the way I talk to judges, right? So right. I, you have to be respectful with the judge. But at the same time, I speak really casually to the court, right? And kind of identify, if I see a problem coming up, I want to be a problem solver in the courtroom and I want to bring it to the judge's attention. You know, if a point is made, uh, I concede it. You know, I kind of shrug my shoulders. I go, that's a good point, Your Honor. I'm, that's, that's probably right. So I think the casualness is something that we're kind of missing. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be important or it's not serious. But at the end of the day, if you want to move 12 people, you've got to connect with them. And you're not going to connect with them unless you can like, you talk to them like human beings. And that's so true. And I think, you know, I've seen you in action at Trial by Human. You're definitely, there's a reason why they chose you as one of the teachers, because you do have that great skill of conveying information in such a personable way. And, and you're such a personable person. But speaking of Trial by Human, which, you know, for everyone who doesn't know, is actually a training organization founded by one of our most desired guests, which is Nicholas Rowley, who's a, a big star in, in this world and who we hope to interview one day. So Nick, if you are listening to this, please reach out to us. Um, how did you end up at Carpenter, Zuckerman and Rally, Brian? Like, how did that happen for you? You know, I spent most of my career as a solo attorney and, and somewhat stubbornly, I thought that was, uh, maybe my ego was wrapped up and I thought that was something that I had to do. I had to build a practice all alone and, and on my own. And um, coincidentally, I went to law school and competed on the trial team with Nick's wife, Courtney. And Courtney and I were, were best friends in law school and we were baby attorneys together. So, you know, she was flailing on a, on a jury trial and needed help. I'd come show up and, and vice versa. So, you know, we, we really tried to learn how to do this um, kind of together as baby attorneys and make something out of it. And, you know, obviously our friendship never changed over the years. Um, so that's, that's ultimately how I met Nick. And just, you know, in developing my friendship with them, we would we would work, you know, kind of one off. Hey, help me on this case. I'll help you on this case. And really developed a really nice working relationship and a lot of trust in each other. And it helped me kind of break down my barriers of thinking, oh, I need to do everything alone. So, you know, at a certain point, 
you know, Nick offered me an opportunity to to come in uh, as a partner at CZNR and and try cases. And I think uh, we had so much trust built up and so many cases at that time that that I had worked through kind of my issues and realized that being part of a team that that powerful uh, and certainly having Nick's guidance along the way is is an opportunity that most people would have you know uh, uh, trampled right over me if they could, if they could have to take it. So. <laughs> So I said yes, and, uh, and and I've never been happier in the practice. So Brian, I was checking your bio on your on your website, and and you make reference to the fact that you were an injury victim yourself. How does that experience translate to helping your clients when you're litigating their cases? I imagine that you're probably in the in the small minority of attorneys that have actually uh, been in that in that seat. So, so how do you bring that experience into your cases and, and how does that, how does it help your clients? It's really interesting. It, it kind of changed everything. You know, part of the timeline about coming into Carpenter, Zuck and Rally that I didn't tell you is that, you know, I, I, my injury was about eight years ago and my right foot was essentially snapped in half and partially crushed and, and life got real, real dark for me after that. And, my pain was essentially uncontrollable and the, the doctors wanted to shove the opioids at me. And, and you know, I was on a cane 24 uh, seven. I lost the ability to drive with my right foot. So my wife would have to take me to court, things like that. It reached the point in my solo practice where my injury was, was so disabling that I basically walked away from the law and uh, we sold our house and hopped in the Airstream trailer and, you know, kind of hit the reset button on my life. And it was in that process when, when Nick Rowley reached out to me and gave me the opportunity. And I thought long and hard about it and decided, you know, com- coming through that journey myself, I felt almost an obligation to come back in and help guide other people through it, um, both for their personal well-being as well as to, to carry their story to the jury um, because I could relate to them in a new way that I couldn't before. So now uh, I, when I speak to the juries about pain, I feel like I've got a lot of credibility. I know that, you know, in my heart that, that everything I'm saying rings true with me. And I think that when you're that authentic, the, the, the jurors know it and they pick up on it. So I think it gives me a bit of empathy, a bit of insight, maybe a, a bit of advantage in telling somebody else's story, having, having written my own. And on the flip side, you know, my journey and, and people who saw me in those dark days see me now and they say, you don't look permanently disabled at all. And you certainly don't act that way, which is a huge compliment. Um, but it, it also allows them to see me as, as being a success or having come through it. So then I have the credibility to help them rewrite their own narrative, right? So I can tell them we can take the same facts, you know, that you got hurt. It interrupted your life. It, it's going to continue to interrupt your life forever. But those are the facts. Now, what's the story? The story can be you're a victim and now everything is ruined and poor you. Or the story can be you're such an incredible individual that despite having all of these challenges and setbacks, every day you move forward and, you, and you're able to accomplish things. And those victories mean more because of the obstacles that they've overcome. So it helps it helps give me my clients a little bit of hope. Um, I, I try to act as an example, as a way where they can move forward and be successful in their own minds as well. Gotcha. I've got a uh, tactical question for you. How do you decide whether to go all the way to trial or settle a case? What, what kind of factors go into making those decisions? Um, if you could just talk about that for a little bit. You know, I, 
I think at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to your perspective from the very beginning of a case. So what we try really, really hard to do is not take a case if, if we don't think it's a trial case. So I start every case with that proposition. We're going to trial on this case. And at that point, you know, um, it's really incumbent upon the defense to talk me out of it, right? Now, if you want to, so in some ways, I kind of turn the insurance jester a game around on them. And I simply say, I'm going to trial. I've got a good case. I'm prepared for trial. Now, if you have some information that makes me change my analysis, why don't you go ahead and share it with me? Or if you've got enough money to talk me out of that risk, why don't you go ahead and share it with me? Now, that it's easier said than done because people need to operate their practice and manage cash flow. And you can't take every case to trial that's not necessarily responsible. So most of them, as we know, do settle. So how do you make that transition? And I would say, you know, experience helps. And if you don't have as much experience as you feel you need in that moment to know what the right answer is, then you need to be reaching out to people that do have that experience. And, you know, that's that's something I think is really important is people need to have peers that they feel are teammates that they can call. You need to have, you know, a buddy whose skill and judgment you trust. You need to be able to spitball these things. Uh, with somebody you trust, you need to have mentors, right? And you need to lean on them for advice. And it really should be a group effort. You know, when you, it, it's a lot like the jury system itself. When you put 12 people together, that collective wisdom makes better decisions. Well, if you're sitting in your office and you're trying to make a decision alone, realize that decision is going to be made better if you can apply collective wisdom to it. So it's about expanding your network and it's about relying on your network. Um, to kind of really get consensus, have somebody play devil's advocate. Obviously, beyond that, you can start doing things like focus groups and get even more opinions and, and see what the collective wisdom of a potential juror pool would look like. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think that we do much better and we have much better success in the plaintiff's bar if we accept cases knowing that if we have to try them, we can, we will, and we'll win. And Brian, that's just such good information there. And for everyone that's listening, you know, if you need to rewind and listen to that again, um, you should, because there are some real gems in there. And we want to switch gears a little bit now, because we've coined you like the Lincoln lawyer, you're the Airstream lawyer. And for people who uh, don't know about the Lincoln lawyer, it's actually a man named David Ogden, who was a very famous criminal defense attorney in LA who used to just basically live in the back of his Lincoln town car and run his office from there between courthouses. But you sort of live in an Airstream and have been traveling around national parks and working and doing calls and, and all the stuff you do but on the go in some of the most beautiful places um, in the West. Can you tell everyone a little bit about how that came about and how you sort of manage your practice in your day considering you're on the road? Yeah, well, it came about, uh, you know, uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier out of, out of my injury and disability, once I was able to uh, take control of my pain management and I got some good physical function back in my body, it made me realize at a pretty young age that everything that you're planning for later in life uh, may not come to pass because life can intervene between now and then. So my wife had always had this dream, let's, let's buy the Airstream and let's get out and crawl around the world and you know, have some fun and see what's out there. And it became really obvious that, um, you know, especially with, um, the arthritis, you know, I have the neurogenic pain as well as the, the, the 
uh, tendonitis that my situation may not always be as good as I was able to get it to. So it, the lesson was really, if you want to live your life, you really have to do it right now. If you're waiting for tomorrow, tomorrow may never come. So that's kind of what what got us out there. And it was at that hiatus in my career that we really started doing this. Um, so, you know, one of the things when when I was talking to Nick about coming back into the practice, one of my conditions was, can I can I keep doing this? And his response was, you can do whatever you want as long as you show up for trial and you get the work done. And I said, well, I can do that. Um, you know, I have a, a team at this point that we've developed a really wonderful working relationship with and a good rhythm and an awful lot of trust. So to the extent that I might have limitations uh, physically, you know, in terms of my living space or where I'm at, I know that I've got a team that I can rely on. But, you know, I think what COVID is showing all of us is that everybody can do what I was doing before. Uh, what I'm doing now isn't that odd, right? You're sitting right. wherever you live doing this right now, and I'm sitting wherever I live doing this right now. So at this point, what does it matter? When we get our jury trials back in 2021, guess where I'm going to be? I'm going to be in a courtroom. But until then, I I'm no more productive sitting in an office than I am, you know, sitting in a campground or a national forest. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I'm certainly happier. So I think that makes me both, you know, more productive and more effective. <laughs> So a question that we ask every attorney that comes on to the Settlement Nation podcast is, what is something that you know now as a trial lawyer that you wish you knew five or 10 years ago as an attorney? Yeah, it, it, and it's teamwork. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this question, knowing, knowing that everybody gets asked it. And I think the answer is teamwork. So that's a really personal answer for me. I don't know if that's something that other people are having trouble with, but this notion that I had that I wanted to do things on my own and, and establish my career, you know, on my own merits was really ego-based and foolish. Um, I work in a really collaborative environment now. You know, I've got, you know, my team, I run my cases, but between all of the partners at Carpenter, Zuckerman and Rowley, it's, it's a wealth of um, insight and knowledge and experience and support you know i think and one thing i was good at but i i want the generation behind us to be even better at is mentorship so it's something i talk about both in terms of the career as well as talking to people who want to talk to me about pain management which is you can reach your hand up to me for help and i'll reach back and grab it but part of that deal is when you reach your hand up to me for help you need to reach the other hand behind you and put it out for the next person that needs help. So we need to form a chain, right? And when, we, when we're in a chain and we're all pulling ourselves up, guess what happens? We all rise, we all become better. Um, and it really becomes exponential. So one hand up, one hand back, all of a sudden you've got an entirely different profession. And I have to say, I think that this is, this is happening and it needs to happen more. When I got out of law school, I was kind of the only one trying cases uh, because I was lucky enough to get that experience. And I was worried about the future of the profession, kind of looking at the landscape and saying, partners are trying everything and associates get nothing. Now, I think that paradigm has started to shift and I just want to encourage people to keep the, the gas pedal on it. So, you know, we're doing that at Carpenter, Zuckerman and Rowley, trying to develop our associates and build the trial lawyers of tomorrow. I know, you know, the Simon brothers with Justice AQ, HQ in, in Los Angeles are doing the same thing. So I think the, the tide is turning and, and we have a brand new generation of young, energized, impassioned trial lawyers. And I want to see it. I want to see it keep going. But we have to do it collectively. That's fantastic. And it is true. And, you know, you are someone who, 
you don't just say things, you actually put them into action. And with the example of trial by human, you know, that's your times on the weekend volunteering to teach other, and some of them are seasoned trial attorneys about things that you know, and that you've seen and helping them just become better, which I think is exactly what you're saying. This is what this this whole industry is shifting to. So it comes to the end, Brian, this is where you get to give your personal plug. How do people get in touch with you? You're in an airstream, but as you said, you're a trailblazer for COVID. <laughs> I feel like you had some insider knowledge and you started before everyone else. So you, you knew how to do it properly. How do, uh, how do people get in touch with you? Well, you can come, uh, you can come track me down in the national park campgrounds and knock on my door. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty amiable. I might, might even pour you a drink. Um, but uh, if you want to do it the easier way, you can email me directly at bward, B-W-A-R-D, at czrlaw.com. Uh, and you'll certainly get a response that way if you want to talk about anything. Or you can call my cell phone, which I encourage people to do, at 818-259-0988. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on Settlement Nation. This was an amazing interview. And thank you for sharing so much about yourself and and your vision with everyone listening and we look forward to our next episode so make sure you subscribe and thank you again thanks guys i had a blast thanks brian